0: Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it you can simply email us at info at One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com.
1: So we're going through the book of Romans. We're already in chapter 5, which means it, this is our sixth week of doing it. So if you do the math, we're covering a lot uh, each Sunday. And so we're not turning over every single stone. We're not looking under every single, you know, uh, leaf to, 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 to unveil every facet of Romans. However, the big idea that I have or had and still have going into this was to, let's get an, a, a solid overview of, uh, of the theme of what it is Paul's trying to communicate. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we break these letters down in, into such minute um, sections where we spend a week on, on just one verse that we lose the flow. We lose the flow of what's being said. And a lot of times that's how verses can be taken completely out of context. And therefore we start teaching something that the author did not intend to teach at all, was it? In fact, sometimes teaching the exact opposite. And in fact, we, talk, we saw that in chapter two, that there's a section that if, if you just take this one little section out of chapter two, and, that, and you don't talk about what was before, you don't talk about what's after, I and mean, you could preach something completely contradictory to the letter of Romans, but it was found in Romans. So that's why I want us to try to get an overview of what's happening. A couple quick key themes, key verses that we've seen so far, and we'll, we'll probably hit these. Did my clicker die? Uh-oh. I was just thinking, what's going to happen when this clicker dies? Um, you take the batteries out and you put them back in and hope for the best. Um, Anybody got any triple A's? Um, So here's a key verse, all right? Paul says, I'm here to bring about the obedience of faith amongst the Gentiles. His whole mission, everything he set himself out to do was to bring about obedience of faith amongst the Gentiles. That's a play on word because there was a contradictory philosophy or religion that there needed to be an obedience to the law, an obedience to Moses. And Paul is like, no, I'm here to bring about obedience of faith. To believe the gospel, Paul also calls it to obey the gospel. To obey the gospel simply means to believe, to believe Jesus. And so um, a couple other key verses. He says, in the gospel, that's what it is back in verse 16. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. There's competing views on this. That the righteousness of God was revealed by our obedience to the law, by the commandments, the 10, the big 10, especially that by doing these things, the righteousness of God is attained and revealed. And Paul is setting this up. This is in chapter one. He says, no, guys, the righteousness of of God is not going to be revealed by law. It's going to be revealed by faith from faith and then to faith. And then where do we move from there? It's still faith every step of the way. So we never, according to Paul, we never divert from faith in order to bring about righteousness, in order to bring about holiness, in order to bring about the life of Christ from within. It's revealed by, from faith to faith to faith. And what is faith? We, we're using a synonym. Everybody say it with me. Dependency. Everybody say it with me. Dependency. Dependency. That's just, a, I think, a take this lofty idea of faith off of the religious shelf. And just, what does it mean? What does it look like? It's dependency. We're talking about dependency upon the Lord. So how do we live? The just man, the righteous man shall live by faith. Dependency. That's, that's the marker of your life as a Christian. Not of your dependency upon the law, not your dependency upon Moses, not your dependency upon your behavior improvement plan. Trust me, you grow in your trust me hear this you grow in your dependency upon the lord day by day hour by hour and you just watch a byproduct of better behavior happening but that's the byproduct that's the result the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness gentleness self control etc that's not the focus that's the byproduct of We know what byproduct is, right? It's something that happens just as a result of something else. It's a byproduct. It's an unintended consequence, an unintended result. It's a good result. It's a good byproduct. But that is not our focus. We do not wake up every morning and say, okay, what's the list? Let's go do the list. We wake up every morning in dependency upon him for our breath, for our life, for our parenting, for our working at work in difficult circumstances. We grow in dependency upon him and then what comes from us, forth from us, love, joy, peace, patience, in the midst of those turmoils, which Paul talks about a little bit in chapter 5. So we live by faith. Now, Paul makes some pretty bold statements last week in chapter 3. This is kind of get us rolling into our discussion in chapter uh, 5. In chapter 3, two weeks ago, he says, "...for apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested." Now, them some fightin' words. If you go into any typical church, any church I've ever been a part of, you go into that church and say that the righteousness of God is revealed apart from the Ten Commandments. I guarantee you, you won't get invited to come back. All they have to do is just read Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Paul says, I contend. Now, there were, there were people contending for something else out of Jerusalem. Read Galatians. He was fighting for this gospel. That's why he says, I fought the good fight. The good fight is the defense of Jesus plus nothing. So he says, apart from the law. The righteousness of God has been manifested. And even says it was witnessed by the law that this would be the case. And it was witnessed by the prophets. So you can even go back and read the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, Genesis through Malachi, or Malachi, if you're from Italy, you can read all of it. And all of it is testifying to something. It's all testifying that righteousness comes apart from the law. How does it do that? How does the law testify that righteousness comes apart from the law? Who of you can do the law? That's how it testifies. Who of you can accomplish the law? Who of you can try your hardest to do every single thing written in the 613 laws and accomplish it perfectly? Not a single one of us. Therefore, the law is testifying that righteousness comes apart from the law. Because under the law, there's condemnation. Under the law, there's death. So righteousness must come apart from the law. Because it certainly doesn't come from the law. A knowledge... Of your unrighteousness comes from the law you think you're what's the old saying hot snot on a silver platter you think that just read the law a little bit and measure your life against that and you'll realize that you're just a cold booger on a paper plate <laughs> that's where that's what happens when we put ourselves under the law we see the reality of it it's we are undone that's what uh who was it <sighs> Isaiah, that's what Isaiah said when he saw these cherubs, he saw this stuff. He says, woe is me, for I'm undone. If I compare myself to David or, or to Christian or to someone else down here, I, I look pretty good. I mean, not you guys in particular, but we, could, we can do that. We can, make, we can say, look, I look good. But when we compare ourselves to the standard, a.k.a. the law, which is good, we realize, oh, my gosh, I am undone. So the law does not bring righteousness. The law reveals your unrighteousness. Amen. Then he says, for we maintain, as opposed to who? The Judaizers, the people coming out of Jerusalem. There was a contention. For we maintain that a man is justified apart from the works of the law. Now, he's made some bold statements in chapter 3. Bold statements that that make us understand better why he's persecuted by Jews in every town he goes to while he was had to be why he had to be let down from Philippi by a basket down the, the wall why he was you know um, ostracized and kicked out and beaten by the various Jews how many times by a cat of nine tails was he beaten you know 40 lashes minus one that he talks about in second Corinthians he was beaten within inches of his life because he's contending that righteousness comes apart from the law he didn't make friends r- religious friends with this message made enemies with this message many of the time. So what's your evidence, Paul? And that's what we looked at last week. What's the evidence that righteousness comes apart from the law? What's your evidence? Show me the facts. And he says, well, what shall we say then about our father Abraham? What did Abraham discover? What did he find out? Well, I'm not going to re-preach last Sunday's message. It's on the podcast if you want to listen to it. But last week's message, chapter 4, the whole chapter 4, was that Abraham discovered that righteousness comes apart from the law, for he was credited as righteous. I'm going to give you a simple multiple choice. You can all get this one. A, before he did a work of the law, or B, after doing a work of the law. When was Abraham declared and credited as righteous? Before the law or after the law? A or B? A, before the law. In fact, there was no law of, of Moses, at least, before Moses. And I know we're not all necessarily, you know, chronological scholars of the Old Testament, but Abraham was generations before Moses. So you ask Moses, hey, how's that law keeping? How's that Ten Commandments? How's that, how are those thou shalt going? And he'd be like, thou shalt what? He had no idea about that. But he was credited as righteous because he what? believed. He depended upon, Jesus, uh, upon God for what God had promised him. So what did Abraham discover? Abraham last week, chapter four, discovered that righteousness comes apart from the law. So that's Paul's contention. And now we have today, even in our own minds, let's just be honest. We have fibers, even right now, we have fibers in our thinking, remnants of, but wait a minute, I'm convinced ever since the Reformation in the 1500s that our salvation is apart from the law, but don't we need to do the law after we're saved in order to grow in our righteousness, to grow in our holiness, to grow in our relationship with God? Well, um, we'll Paul goes into this in chapter 6, chapter 7. He gets into that very specific thing, and Paul will say, No. No, no, no. In fact, we'll, we'll see Paul say in Galatians chapter 3 that the law is not of faith. And we are people of what? Faith. The law is not for the righteous, Paul tells Timothy, but for the unrighteous. So at the end of chapter 4, he says that this stuff in Genesis, it wasn't written down. Abraham's life, it wasn't written down just for Abraham's sake. But it was written written for our sake. Also that it was credited, he was credited as righteous. To whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. It was written for our benefit. Now he talks about Jesus. This is where we ended last week and we're picking up today. He, talking about Jesus, who was delivered over because of our transgressions. So he was delivered over to the cross because of our sins. And was raised because of... Our justification. Now, here's another big word like faith that we've used basically only in church settings. We really don't use the word justification outside of a church setting. And so, what does that big word justification ultimately mean? In this context, um, you can look it up on your own, but it simply means the acquittal of guilt, the declaration, the judgment, the court uh, decision that. The guilty is no longer guilty. Acquittal. That doesn't necessarily mean that the person didn't do it. That's not the judgment. It means that they are acquitted of the crime that they've been charged with. And so what Paul is saying is that Jesus died because of our sins. Catch this. But he rose from the dead because of our acquittal from our sins. Acquittal of our guilt. So his resurrection, follow me now, this is very, very important. You say why was Jesus raised? His resurrection proves that the death actually worked. And what did the death do? The death ended God's counting of sins on our behalf, on our lives, in our lives. He into ended his the reckoning of sin amongst humanity. Sin, because of the cross, has been eliminated, removed. He was delivered to be crucified because of the sins, but he was raised because the death worked, and there is now acquittal of all sin, of all guilt. So, if you believe that Jesus has been raised, and I would bet if we had a show of hands, we would all throw our hands up. I bet if you went into, you know, nine out of ten churches, this morning, you say, hey, did Jesus come back to life? Was Jesus raised from the dead? Every hand would go up, I, I would assume. But if we go into the same church, even the, to our church here this morning, our fellowship, how many of us would equally, boldly raise our hand to say, how many of you believe 100% with every fiber of your being that you have been acquitted of all guilt for all time by the one sacrifice of Jesus? I'm not so sure about that. You see what I'm getting at? If he be raised then there is acquittal. If he's not raised, then there is no acquittal of our sins. So if we believe that he's been raised, then we also by default are believing, whether we realize it or not, that we have been acquitted of our guilt. Now picking up, this is where we pick up this morning. We're only doing 10 verses. So we're like, man, that was all review. We're only doing 10 verses. We're not doing the whole chapter five. There's just too much. If you've read chapter five, you know, there's just way too much in chapter five to try to knock out in one Sunday. Okay. So picking up, verse one he says therefore what's the therefore therefore because this thing is not of the works of the law because salvation is not connected to doing the law because having the life of god in me and even the righteousness being revealed is not of the law because of this therefore having been justified not by the law but having been justified by faith here's the end goal here's the end result we have something. We have peace with God through, because of, Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's just get, let's just get kind of real for a second. You don't have to answer this. Like, to, uh, like Answer to yourself. You don't have to like answer aloud. How many of you, on your best moments, like you just had a great day. Like you watched what you said. You know, you didn't like blow up. Like you felt, I mean, it was a good day in that regard, right? At the end of the day, you, have, you feel, man, I feel good with God today. I feel like I'm at peace with God. Things went really well. I mean, we've all been there, right? You know, man, this was really good. Things were really good. Now, you know what the next question is? How many of us, when I mean it was one of those days? We've had them. Maybe you had seven of them in a row this last week. You had one of those days where well, you can't believe some of the things that came out of your mouth. You can't believe some of the thoughts that were funk, thought in your head. You can't believe some of the things that you did. Like you're ashamed, even. At the end of that day, you're laying in bed, you're ready to go to sleep. How many of us in that moment say to ourselves, you know, I have peace with God. You see? See the difference? See, even we struggle to see our union, our peace with God based upon his work versus based upon what? Our work. We struggle with that. And that's okay. It's called life. And we're going to continue to struggle. But that's maturity. Maturity, Christian maturity is a growing awareness of just how righteous he's made us by his gift. And it's also called an inheritance, it's what he's done for us, what he, he's done to us. Now that's not, and I know the question that comes out because it's come to me and it's come to Paul and Paul's going to answer it in chapter six, the very next chapter after this one, he said, what then shall we say? Shall we continue in sin so that grace shall abound all the more? Is that what you're saying, Walt? May it never be. We'll get to that. That's, that's next chapter, maybe two weeks from now. But what we must say is that now by faith, because of what Jesus has done, we have peace. Are we getting peace? Are we waxing and waning in our peace? He says we have peace. That's what we have. It's not what you're getting more of. It's not what you're at risk of losing. Rewind. Throwback. It's not Thursday, but stay with me. Go all the way back to Bethlehem. The angels coming down. Shepherds are doing their shepherding thing. And these angels made a declaration. They said a lot of stuff. I don't have it all memorized, but there's this one part where they said, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what? Peace, peace. among men with whom he's pleased." The promise was made that in the birth of Jesus, because of Jesus, obviously culminating in his death and his resurrection, there would be something on earth. Peace. Now, I don't think, and I could be wrong, I don't think he's talking about peace like between the Serbs and the Kurds and the this is and the that's, that's great. That could be a byproduct for sure of a revelation of our peace with God. But I'm confident that those angels were talking about because of this baby that's born in a manger, wrapped that you'll find in swaddling clothes, he has brought, he himself, his peace. He himself is the peace of this world. And that by being in him, guess what you have? Peace. And so now that's the, fir- that's the throwback back to his birth announcement. He's died. He's resurrected. He's ascended to heaven. This is gener- uh, 30-ish, maybe 40 years after his ascension. And Paul is saying, here's what we have because of him. We have peace. And this peace is a gift. This peace is an inheritance. This peace is not based upon your behavior. This is odd. It's odd for me to continue to believe the truth because here's how it's not. I don't, I don't ever, I don't ever recall saying it this way. Hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, are are you at peace with God today? I didn't say it that way before I knew the gospel. Here's what, what I said, brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you okay with God today? See, are you okay with God? Are you all right with God? Do you need to do business with God, brothers and sisters in Christ? That's how I used to say it. I mean, nobody really would say, are you at, do you have peace with God? Because I mean, the scripture's kinda clear, we have peace. So we say it differently to make it sound better, but it's equally wrong. How are you brother and sister with God? Because of your sins. You are as good as you're ever gonna get because his peace, his righteousness is a gift. If there were strings attached, there would be no one in, no one, not, not me, and certainly not, no, I'm just kidding, uh, no one, none of us would be in if there was a string attached. Let's just be honest. Let's just call it what it is. So he says, we have peace because of this, In this faith. It's faith, we have peace, and he's trying to get them to come to obedience of what? Faith. And it's from faith to faith, the manifestation, it's all faith, dependency. Because of this dependency, once we've chosen to be dependent upon him, we now have peace with God through Christ Jesus. Now, check this out. This is verse 2. Through whom, talking about Jesus, we also have obtained, we have something else. We have peace and we have something else. We have obtained our introduction by faith, okay? He he makes it clear. He didn't have to say this because he started by saying in verse one that it was what? By faith. But he wants to continue. He's like, we're not moving from faith. So verse one is by faith. Verse two is by faith. Guess what verse three is going to be? Yeah, you got it. By faith. So we have received, obtained by introduction, uh, our introduction by faith, not by works. We're not moving on from faith into this what? Grace. So we've obtained The grace of God now what is grace there's how do we put this into a sentence even a paragraph but a very simple way to remember grace what is the grace of God God's riches at Christ's expense God's riches at Christ's expense that's what we have The riches of God, which is, let's don't think about like streets of gold necessarily. Let's think about God himself. We have him at Christ's expense. And now for the rest of the chapter, at least until chapter of verse 10, Paul's going to expound upon the Christ's expense, what he did to give us God's riches, to give us God himself. And we now stand in this grace. We stand in it. What is the difference between standing versus, like, trying to obtain it, right? I would never, and I will never, and I certainly never even thought about it, but I have a friend, his name's Matt, and he climbed up to, what is that mountain in Nepal or wherever it is? Everest. Everest. He climbed up to the top of it, all right? When he got to the top, do you think he just kind of, like, you know, mulled around and, like, just sort of... You know had a little pity party whatever no way that dude's like taking every single angled selfie that you can ever take he's like standing in triumph he climbed to the top and that's the idea that i see he's saying, like, we stand in this grace we're not like wallowing around like trying to get into it but we're, we've arrived this is the final destination we stand in this grace and and having stood in this grace like this we exult in hope The glory of God. What is exult? What is this word? It's kind of a weird word. We don't really use that um, all that often. It's celebration. It's boasting. It's throwing a party. It's rejoicing. And Paul is saying we rejoice, we celebrate, we boast, not in the accomplishments of the flesh to get into this grace because that's not how it works. No, we celebrate, we boast, we rejoice in full hope. Of the glory of God. In other words, we boast in what He did, in what He's accomplished. It's what He promised, it's what He did, what He performed. So here's the two sides, here's the two. Um, The the debate, if you will. You have one group who says that we must celebrate, we exult in our performance of doing in order to get, of trying to get righteousness, trying to get peace, trying to obtain okayness with God. And you have Paul on the other side saying we celebrate, we exult, we, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because of what he's done and what he's freely given to all who believe. Well, what is it that we're ultimately exalting? What are we ultimately celebrating? Well, that was verse 25. We just read it. That Jesus being delivered over because of our transgressions and then being raised up because those transgressions no longer exist. There's an acquittal no longer recorded against us. If we truly saw compared to the law who we really are and the filth of who we are, and then because of one man's death, which we'll get into in a couple, you know, next week, now there is no more filth. I say that's worth celebrating. That's what we celebrate. That's worth celebrating. That's what we eat the, the, the bread and drink the wine. That's what we are celebrating. We're celebrating what he did. That's what we're celebrating when we put a believer down into water and bring him back, back up. We're celebrating what Jesus has done. We celebrate what he's done because the law has proven that we, uh, no matter the circumstance, could never obtain it. But he obtained it once and for all. And that sounds awesome, and it is awesome, and we will celebrate it, but what about life here and now? What about when we go to work on Monday and those same problems exist at work that were there Friday and we left them? What, what, what happens when we leave here, we go home to the same rebellious child, the same, you know ill, uh, 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 cancer-ridden parent, grandparent. What what about life here and now? And check out what Paul says. This stuff isn't just for lofty tomorrows in heaven one day. We exult in hope, in hope of what he's done. But look at this, verse 3. And not only this, not only the spiritual reality of our new life, and that's enough, but we also exult in our tribulations. Now, this is a head-scratcher, for sure. I'm all for celebrating God's performance of the removal of our sins, but I'm not sure at times, even now, about this one, about celebrating our tribulations, about celebrating our afflictions, celebrating our anguish. Sounds a bit morbid, doesn't it? Well, listen, does Paul say that we celebrate or exalt our tribulations does he say we celebrate the tribulation look at the look at it in English very clearly it says the same thing in the Greek we celebrate I put it in red as emphasis we celebrate what in the tribulation he's not saying to celebrate the tribulation like who's like yes I've got cancer I don't think that's what he's saying I think he's saying we celebrate even in the tribulation let me, let me explain it a little bit further. Who is it that we still celebrate even in a, the greatest tribulation? We're still in the greatest tribulation that we can imagine celebrating God and his work that he did in the complete removal of our sins. I hear Paul saying, listen, listen, life is hard. Can I get an amen? Life is brutal. At times, life is dark, depressed, unfair, unkind, and all the rest. Paul calls this kingdom the kingdom of darkness. But even in the darkest of dark moments in this world, and you shall have them, we are still at at peace. We still have peace with the God of the universe, even, and I can't say even more so because we're always at peace, the peace that we have with God is revealed to us, especially as a result of these trying times. And so therefore we can celebrate what Jesus has done even in the tribulations. It's easy. I mean, right? it's easy to celebrate God and his, what he's done for us and to us in the good times. When you got that promotion, oh, glory to God. When the kids are actually making good decisions for once. Thank you, Jesus. We can celebrate during that time, right? The economy's booming. People are getting saved left and right. It's like, Jesus, Jesus, oh, how I love you. But it's another story to celebrate Jesus when the rubber meets the road in life and things are out of control. And we've all been there. You might be there right now, in fact. I mentioned this a few times already in our journey through Romans, but does anyone remember some of the tribulations that the Christians in Rome are facing at this time? Does anybody remember some of the things we've we've mentioned? The biggest one I can think of is that Nero, the emperor Nero, set a portion of Rome on fire, burned it to the ground, and then blamed the Christians so that people would hate the Christians for burning down their town. I say it's a pretty substantial tribulation and trying time, mass persecution. And I hear Paul telling them, listen, guys, even in this mass persecution that you're facing, you can, you can still celebrate what Jesus has done to you because it hasn't changed. But why should we, why should we, why should we celebrate in these persecutions, in these trying times, in these tribulations? Well, he says, because we know something we knowing that this tribulation it actually brings about a perseverance and in this perseverance That brings about something. It brings about proven character. And proven character brings about something else. It brings about hope. Now, he's headed somewhere. As we celebrate during this trying time, it's producing something. And this hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If anybody ever says to you, hey, listen, Christian, listen, Christian. You believed upon the name of Jesus, that's great. Now you need to get the Holy Spirit. Walk away. Walk away. Because we'll see emphatically in a verse or two that the Holy Spirit coming into you is your salvation. But we'll get to that in a second. So what I hear Paul saying is that the tribulations produce character, produces perseverance, produces even hope, which all ultimately gets us back to the core of what we're here day in and day out to discover the love of God that he has poured out into us. How does this look? How does this work? Well, sometimes again during the easy times of life, which I know are few and far in between at times, but the good times of life, it's very difficult to really take that time to examine what what lies beneath, what really is inside of us, because we're just living from mountaintop to mountaintop, and things are good, but it's in the struggles of life where we have to stop and take evaluation and really choose and determine what really is going on inside of here. Who really am I? What really is going on? And Paul is saying that these tribulations that produce perseverance, that produce character, ultimately produces a hope, which ultimately... Here's the climax. It reveals the love of God that he has poured out into our hearts. Now, I don't believe you might, and we're still friends. I don't believe that it's God who who orchestrates or like creates the tribulation. I don't think there's any bad news in the good news. I don't think it's God who says, hey, you know, life's going too good for Ryan. You know, let's give him this, you know, like I just don't think that's how it works. But I think, I know that God is so good that he can take anything that comes at us from this thing of life and he's able to use that thing to drive us to a greater knowledge, a greater realization of this love that he has poured out into our hearts, which let's just face it, easy living doesn't always drive us to see if you survey, if you're old enough and many of us are, you can survey your life and you can say, you know, when was it that I, experienced a revelation of this love that he's poured out into my heart. Most of the responses would be, it was during or after a very difficult, trying time in my life. That's just the way it works. It's what produces. So we exalt God, we, we celebrate him because of what he's done, whether it's good, wh- whether, whether life is good. But man, there's an opportunity even when life is tough. And who better to teach us about how tough life can be than this guy, the Apostle Paul, right? Read, what is it, 2 Corinthians 12, I think it is. You you, you find it. It's over there, 12, 13, something around there. Read about how Paul, he's like, I'm going to list this stuff out. I'm not trying to boast here. I'm going to list some stuff out of what I've been through. Not to shame you, but just to give you an idea of what I've been through for this gospel. I don't see anyone who's been shipwrecked a couple times, anybody been bitten by snakes, left to die, anybody been let out by ropes in a basket from Philippi, anybody? Now I'm not saying we don't have issues, we do, we do. But if we can learn, if, if there's someone who is able to teach us about the, 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 how tribulations ultimately reveals a revelation of the love of God poured out into our hearts, I think it's the Apostle Paul. That's all I'm trying to say for a few more verses for, and I've said it a bunch. I'll keep saying it. This is our best friend. When we come across a verse, that's kind of hard to understand. If you see a for F O R that's, he's explaining what he just said for while we were, he's, he's explaining the love that was shed upon. What is this love? Help me, Paul, help me understand this love a little bit better for here's your love Here's what love looked like. Here's the love that was shed abroad in our hearts by the Lord Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. that's, That's how this love looks God dying for the ungodly. Now, who would do that? And Paul agrees for yeah, here he is he's explaining what he just explained for one would hardly die for a righteous person meaning you know he could maybe think of a scenario but it's probably very rare that someone is going to go die for someone who's righteous someone who's who's noble someone who's i mean it happens right but let's think about in general most people run for their lives as opposed to lay their life down for someone else And he even says "Now, perhaps for the good man, for the righteous man, someone would even dare to die. So he's he's leaving room like he's not making an absolute here. No one dies for the righteous man. He's like, it can happen, but it's always going to be for someone who is noble, for someone who is righteous, someone who is is good. But here's the kicker. Is that what God did? Did God die for a bunch of righteous people? No. You want to know what love looks like? Look at verse nine. I mean, verse eight. You can look at verse 9 too, but look at verse 8. But God, here's the but, in contradiction, nobody, I mean, let's really, we could probably name it on one hand, people who would die for the, a, a good man. But here's love. God demonstrated, demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so how far out of the muck and miry of our sinfulness did we climb to show ourselves worthy to God for him to then die for us how far did we climb out of that junk we were still dead Ephesians says we were still dead the uncircumcision of our heart we were still dead sinners by birth dead separated by from him so someone might out of the i don't know 50 some of people in this room one person might jump in front of a bullet for a good guy maybe but who who dies for the filth of the filth not in this room but someone might have the attitude of good riddance right but god demonstrated his love for us this love that's been poured out in our hearts this love that persecution and tribulation helps drive us to understand deeper. A love where he died for the scum of the earth. Yeah, it's you. And me too. Before Christ. That's who he died for. He died for us. He didn't just show his love. He didn't he didn't just send a Valentine and say, Baby, I loved you. He demonstrated it. He showed it. He put his words into action by hanging on a cross taking our penalty for us two more verses is that not awesome is that not something to exalt to celebrate this love that has been shed in our heart by him dying for us well guess what paul says whoa wait a second there's something much more more have you ever heard somebody say hey the death of jesus is awesome but there's something much more well paul does In verse 9, he says, the death of Jesus, we exult in that, we celebrate that, we rejoice in that. That's what, even in tribulations, we can discover greater, this love that he has in us, that he's placed in us. Not love like you know it, what's the old DC talk song, like you love your girl, but it's a love from above, not of this world. (laughs) Give me some glasses and I'll go with that one. But he says, much more, much more than the death, check this out, then having now been justified by his blood, that was the death we shall be saved there's something else there was a death and then there's a salvation what explain this further paul because i'm not understanding we shall be saved from the wrath of god through this jesus look at verse 10 thank god there's a 4. this helps me understand what verse 9 was just saying for if while we were enemies dead in our transgressions the uncircumcision of our heart, still in adam Before you were converted, for if we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of the son. If that's the case, then it is. So before you were born again, you were already reconciled to him. That doesn't mean you were saved. It means that your sins were what? Forgiven. You weren't saved because your sins were just forgiven. Where does, how does salvation work? He says, much more, having been reconciled because of the death, having the blood of Jesus eliminate the the sin on your account, you now, we shall be saved by his life. So let this sink in. And I've referenced this here recently because this verse has really opened my understanding to see how salvation really is, how it really works. Are we saved simply from the death of Jesus, by the death of Jesus? I hear Paul saying, no. The death of Jesus wiped away the sin of the world. And we exult in that. And we celebrate that. But if he be not raised, and if his raised life be not in you, then you be not what? Saved. So we are not saved only Listen to the words. I'm trying to be very, very specific. We are not saved only through his death. Without the death, there is no salvation. But it's not only the death. He says we are saved by his what? By his life. What was it that Adam and Eve lost in the garden? What did God pull from them, out of them, that he had breathed into them? Life. That's right. That's right. Life. They lost life in the garden when they send. So, what did they need? They needed life. Now, here's the deal. I'm getting ahead of myself, I think, a little bit. Let me check my notes real quick. Um, yeah, okay. Adam and Eve were saved by, were, 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 Adam and Eve lost life, they needed life. As sons of Adam, that was all of us, we needed life. That's the ultimate need. We needed life. But in order for us to have life eternal, something had to happen to our what? Our sin record. That had to be eliminated. That had to be expunged. That had to be, we had to be acquitted, which is what the death accomplished. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Think deeply. Think deeply with me. What if there is forgiveness of your sins, but not the life of God in you? What if there's forgiveness, but not the life of God in you? What do you have? Do you have salvation? The answer is no. According to Paul, because we're saved by his life being in us. So if you're forgiven of all your sins, but you not have life, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So if you're forgiven of all your sins, but you don't have the life of God in you, then you don't have salvation. You're forgiven. He he even calls you what? Reconciled. He even calls you reconciled, that God has reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says the exact same thing. He says, God has reconciled himself to you. He has done the work of reconciling your debt. And Paul says to the, to the readers, he says, now you be reconciled to him. By what? By faith, by believing. And so the death of Jesus has reconciled sin. One Hebrews, read it. One offering for all time for all people has been reconciled but forgiveness alone does not equal salvation. That's why I personally reject the concept of universalism. If you've heard it, that because of the death of Jesus being applied to all man, all are saved. That's not what Paul believed. That's not what I believe. That's not what you should believe. So if there's forgiveness, but no life, uh, is there salvation? No. Adam lost life. Now listen to this. What if you have new life, you have life, the life of God, bam, imparted into you, bam, you're born again, but you have not total forgiveness of your sins. What do you have? Do you have salvation? Maybe for like a split second. Because what happens once you sin, if your sins have not been removed, your sins are now held, you're, you're back to Adam. Your sins are now held against you. The because in the day in which you sin, you shall surely die because sin, the wages of sin is death. So if you have the life of God, if that's how salvation works, you have the life of God, but he has not forgiven you of all your sins. You have to ask for him one by one, however that works. Then you have not salvation. You have religion, maybe a form of Judaism, but you have not salvation. Adam lost life. He needed life. Why did Adam lose life? He sinned. So in order for salvation to work, salvation is the total and absolute removal of all your sins, reconciliation, and the impartation of his life into you. In my understanding, and I could be wrong, this happened 2,000 years ago on a Roman cross. One man, one sacrifice for all time. This... His life becoming your life happened or happens when you believe in him by faith. That's my understanding. We can fight later, but that's how I understand it. Once for all, whosoever will. So why is this important to us? This is our journey marker. We're doing some math. I had to like find this. This isn't like on the keyboard. I had to like search for this. Forgiveness alone, let's be sure we're on the same page. Forgiveness alone does not equal salvation. it's, It's not enough. Forgiveness alone is not enough because we're not saved by being forgiven. We're saved by having his life now within us. Okay. What does Paul tell the Colossians? Your hope of glory. Does he say your hope of glory is your forgiveness of sins? He doesn't, he says, your hope of glory is Christ. Now, what in you, that's your hope of glory. Does this make sense? This peace that we have with him, him in us, us in him, this peace, this union, forgiveness alone doesn't equal salvation. That's why I am happy to proclaim that the entire world 2000 years ago for all time was forgiven of all sin. I'm happy. I'm okay with proclaiming that. I know not all will, and that's okay. We're still friends. But I'm okay because that doesn't equal salvation new life alone without forgiveness of sin guess what that doesn't equal salvation but this is what I lived under most most of my life to be honest with you I lived under the fact that I'm, I'm saved but now I've got to do business with God when I sin he still holds my sins against me until I ask him to forgive me well, it, the logical conclusion is that is no salvation because the moment in which I sin, if he's still counting sins, his, his life is gone. Because the holy God cannot coexist in sinful man. So here's the equation as I hear Paul saying it. Total forgiveness of sins for all time, for all people, which happened once and for all on a Roman cross. Plus, faith in him, the new, new life, his life, which comes by faith in him, equals salvation. Salvation. This is how his spirit will never depart you. This is how you have peace, not in and out of peace, you know, um, in and out, you know, fellowship, you know, all that garbage. You are once and for all. You, in fact, John says in first John that how um, as he is on the day of judgment, as he is Jesus, so also are you. Let that sink in for a minute. How secure do you think Jesus is on the day of judgment? That's how secure you are. Why? Because of total forgiveness and because you have a new life. So this is what Paul says, man, we celebrate this. We exalt this. This is what we celebrate ponder with me for a minute. Let's say that salvation is by doing the law and it's not, let's ponder for a second. What is there to celebrate? If salvation comes by doing the law, what is there to celebrate? There is no celebration. There is perpetual fear. Perpetual fear that one day you might stumble. Let's just, maybe you've done really well and you haven't sinned yet. But there's no celebration. There's fear. I might stumble. One day I might fail. Any thinking that our okayness with God, our peace with God, is achieved by our performance needs to be washed away from our thinking. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. This peace, it's a gift, it's an inheritance, it's a promise, it's a, guaranteed, it's a guarantee made by the God of the universe. And we saw in Jeremiah 31 a few months back, in Jeremiah 31, it says that this promise will be void once the immeasurable heavens are measured, All Right? Let's don't gloss over that. Once the immeasurable universe is measured, that's when the promise of God will fail. So when's that going to happen? He also says in Jeremiah 31 that once the core of the earth is traversed, you walk through the core of the earth, that's when the promise of God will fail. What's the problem with that? I'll say it together. Liquid hot magma. Magma. Yeah. Like it's not going to happen? It's not going to happen. There's only one thing, Paul says, that nullifies the promise of God. One thing. There is one thing that nullifies the promise of God. Anybody know what it is? It's on the screen. If those who are of the law are heirs, if if inheritance comes by law doing, if that's the way it works, Then faith is made void, and the promise is nullified. There is a way that the promise of God is nullified, and that would be if peace with God comes through the law. That would nullify the promise of God. Is God going to nullify his promise by doing that? No. It is a gift that we celebrate, and we can celebrate even in the difficult times. The hard times, the tough times, because it's in those tough times as we celebrate, not the tough times, thats kind of weird, we celebrate his work even in the tough times because it draws us deeper into an understanding and a revelation of his love that he's poured out on us. A love in which the God of the universe demonstrated this love while we were yet sinners by dying for us and ultimately by giving us salvation which comes by the reception of his life into us by faith. next week we go to verse 11 to the rest of the chapter where he explains how one man's sin resulted in all dying and one man's death can result in all man's living it's really cool we'll get that next week but before we get there as we wrap up this morning anybody have any questions any thoughts any comments any but whatabouts, any suggestions for alternative interpretations yes sir certainly not
2: alternative interpretation I was- kind of guy that picks up the book and reads the last chapter to figure out what's going to happen before I read it. So I did that with our sermon today and looked ahead to see what the journey marker was. Cool. And I thought, here's the very first time I'm going to disagree with Walt but in a very long time, yeah. because I saw that new life part, I thought, is Walt trying to say that this has to do with what I'm doing to change my life? This is well, how works. This is completely against what he said. Well. But then, you know, going through it, you hear it's not our... New life—it's not what we're doing for the life; it's right. new life given to exactly Christ. by Christ. So that was uh, a good thing to finally hear that we're still yeah. Oh, yeah as we're going through. Yeah, it's also good to hear a, a sermon, and it certainly marks it in the top ten that I've heard in my life when you quote Austin Powers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, magnet. yeah,
1: I'm trying. <laughs> What's
2: funny is I put these two things together always. This, yeah. has, this has always been one thing to me. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting to see it separated in the in this particular scripture where we're talking about an action that happened and then an acceptance. Yeah. Like your dad does putting A and A. Yeah. The action that Christ did on the cross, the death, giving us that salvation. And I even was sitting here, uh, or not giving it, but with the other part giving us salvation. I even put it together as I was. Um, listening the same thing you said i was getting ready to go man this could be my question at the end doesn't that create forgiveness for everyone at that moment Mm -hmm. all time for all Mm -hmm. now it doesn't create the salvation correct exactly and there's that hey yeah yeah i agree yeah because you know i've always said you know this chair certainly does a job Mm -hmm. it's there it's been here since i've exactly here right but unless i sit in it it's not doing what it's supposed to do right yeah And that's when it really has power is when I sit in it and show the action and the acceptance. Right.
1: Yeah. Amen. No, I love it. Thank you. Very good. Awesome. Thanks, man. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Ryan.
2: I think for a lot of my life, I kind of equated forgiveness of sin and salvation. I kind of missed the new life part of it. And then there's always this verse in John where John says that, Eternal life is to know God. Yes. And you kind of always scratching my head about that one, and going, "Huh, that's interesting." And then when you put that together, it's like, "Oh, now it makes sense." Yeah. Eternal life, salvation, knowing God, and that comes through faith.
1: Yes. And and knowing God, like he says that word "knowing," it's the same word, or I mean, it's a different language—Greek and Hebrew—but it's the same uh, a word uh, that, um, like in Genesis, where it talks about. Adam knowing his wife, you know, like air quotes, knowing his wife, right? There's a lot happening in that knowing, Um, like, you know, Cain was a byproduct of that knowing. So that's an intimate union, right? When Adam do his wife, right? We're on the same page there, young ears. I'm trying to be, you know, mindful. But what John is saying is that eternal life is this intimate union with God. And that's what that's what this new life is. And you can't have that apart from total forgiveness or else it leaves every time you sin. And that's um, not the gospel, thankfully. Cool. Thanks, Ryan. Any other, any other thoughts or comments, additions, subtractions? Some Man, you missed that one. Or that was very helpful. Or, you know, any questions or thoughts? Cool. All right. Well, listen. um, Appreciate you guys being here. Appreciate the um, opportunity that we're hopefully growing in um, our—not in our knowledge of a letter. It's not what hopefully we're doing, right? But in the knowledge of Him that this letter—that we happen to be reading a letter that is pointing us towards Him, right? And so, if we don't have a knowledge of Him and what He's done, then what is our salvation? It just will always revert back to a works-based sort of system. And that's not, um, that's not okay. All right? Well, let me close us with a word of prayer, and um, we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for everyone who's here. I thank you um, for even, ooh, the tribulations and the trials and the mm-hmm. difficulties that we face. And we do face them. I mean, in fact, I uh, forget the writer, but he says, uh, do not be alarmed. do not be caught off guard if you face trials of many different sorts I think like it 's normal I think it's peter it 's like it 's normal Christian life to face difficulties. I, I think it 's just normal life whether you 're Christian or not. but we have a hope, and this hope is further discovered it 's further understood it 's further uh, relatable. Even as we go through trials and tribulations and difficulties in our life, yeah, we might not be shipwrecked for days on end like Paul was, but you know, we've got financial issues, we've got family issues, we've got just interpersonal issues, we've got the enemy whispering in our ear, telling us we're not good enough, that we're not this enough, that they're better and this, that, and the other. And I just pray, Father, that through the struggles of life, we will discover greater this love that you have shed abroad in our hearts. May we never listen to the enemy and be removed from the confidence of where we stand. We stand in your grace. And we thank you so much. What else can we say? What else can we do? but say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.
0: Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.